when I was a kid, um, we had this, my parents had this uh, little summer house uh, upstate. It was in uh, Orange County. I think I've mentioned this place before. Um, it was a uh, little, tiny little house, little two-bedroom cottage, really. And it was near this little uh, lake. It was really more of a pond, actually, than even a lake. Um, but we loved it. You know, we just loved it as kids. We had a little rowboat, and uh, we'd be fishing like crazy, and just great memories. Um, I think we had it for about 15 years, maybe. Maybe not even that much. Um, we'd probably go up two or three weekends every month, you know, during the summer. Um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, probably the closest town was maybe 25 minutes away. And I remember one night we were, uh, we were in town and uh, it was uh, my parents and my, my little sister and I, my two older brothers, uh, I don't know where they were because we were all, we were pretty young, um, but they weren't there. We went to, uh, we drove by this kind of like a carnival, like a, like a fair. One of those sort of very uh, temporary ones. They pop up in different parking lots throughout the summer, and a lot of church, you know, kind of like the one we used to have here, um, something like that. Not as not as big as the one we had, um, but we went crazy. My sister and I were begging, "Could we please stop? Could we go?" And you know, you see the lights and the rides, and you know, we were little. I was probably eight or nine. My sister's five or six. Uh, and they stopped. They stopped for a little bit. In fact, my mom had a, she had to go in and do shopping. So it was a quick little, you know, we certainly didn't make an evening of it, but we were there for a little bit. And uh, we were getting ready to go after having gone on a couple of rides and played a couple of games. Those, they're a total ripoff, aren't they? Those, those fairs. I mean, uh, you, you drop money like there's no tomorrow. Uh, and we were getting ready to go. And we had a few tickets left, like enough tickets to go on one more ride each, my sister and I. And there was this haunted house ride, um, or yeah, it wasn't really a ride, but like you go into this haunted house. And it was really like, I kind of look back on it, it was a joke, it was like a, basically like a trailer, sort of like an extended trailer with this fake, with this facade, the front that kind of looked like a haunted house. That's all that we saw, and we wanted to check this haunted house out. So we went in, my sister Jackie and I, and again, I'm, I'm eight, you know, Jackie's maybe five. And we walk into one end of this trailer, essentially, and uh, you can, they got like creepy sounds going on and there's lights kind of flashing and we start to walk into it and um, it starts to get quickly darker. Uh, the lights, the flashing lights kind of disappear and uh, essentially all that this thing was was like a maze. It was like a maze that you, you would walk through. So, you'd, you know, you'd go two steps and you, you had to go left. And then, you know, when you went right and you did this, you know, trying, trying to make your way. And, and there were doors that would be clear. You'd push a door and it would, it would open up. And you'd try another, what you thought was a door, and that wasn't going anywhere. So, you, you know, so it was you making your way through this thing and... The first minute or two, I guess it was kind of fun and kind of interesting, and then it became like a nightmare. It was, um, 
like I said, it got darker and darker, and the, the maze got more and more intense to the point where, I swear, the guy who ran this thing should have been arrested. Like, allowing little kids into it was un- unbelievable. Um, so, like, you, you'd go... It was getting tighter and tighter and darker and darker. My sister was now getting... You know, we were both scared. My sister was, like, was crying... Um, we're halfway through this thing. It's like we didn't even know where how to return. It had become so kind of impossible to figure out where we were going, and it was really terrible. Um, and got to the point where we just stopped. My sister is now his, hysterical. Uh, couldn't see. Kind of just we just sort of like quit. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, this light, this, one of the doors opens up in this tiny little, what's now a cubicle that we're in, and there's light from, from outside of it. And it was almost blinding, so we couldn't even see who it was. We could just see this person now who's kind of come into this little room where we are, which is almost more frightening. We didn't know who it was, but clearly it was an adult. Um, well, it turns out it was my father. Uh, would he ultimately, he could hear my sister screaming, like really screaming inside. He's thinking, all right, something's, what's going on here? Um, so he went in the back end of it, I guess, and he, he came in through the exit and he, and he f- found us. And uh, until we realized, the first second or two, we didn't even know it was him, so it was even more frightening. And then once my, my, we could hear my dad's voice, you know, my sister jumped into his arms, and I was probably, like, latched to his leg. I mean, it was just really, really uh, scary and then incredibly relieving. Um, you know, when I think of my father, uh, you know, hey, we all have images, right, of our, of our parents. Um, I'm grateful that the images I've got are, are, are largely very positive. Uh, not all, not 100% perfect, uh, but most of them really are, are great. Um, different images of, you know, from different times in, in, in my life. I'm sure we all say that, do the same with our own lives, chapters. Um, but that would be one of them, like the one, the, this idea of like him kind of like breaking into this darkness, um, this very scary place um, where we were alone and him just kind of coming in and picking us up. You know, literally, like, light. He brought the light into this by opening this door. Um, like, he rescued us. Now, I mean, objectively, we, it wasn't really a rescue. But when you're scared to death and somebody shows up, it kind of is a rescue. And He was a great protector, my father was, I guess is what, what I'm getting at. Um, even as an adult, like, what... It would be a different kind of protecting, but he, once, once his kids were grown, I think it, it, it took on a different kind of a role, but he was still kind of the one who would, in a lot of ways, I don't know, save the day, or at least be the voice of uh, comfort or protection. And anyway, I was thinking about that with this feast that we celebrate today, uh, the Christmas, uh, the the, the Sunday after Christmas is always this Holy Family Sunday. The readings, one way or another, 
talk about uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, really Mary and Joseph, like the holy family. Obviously, Jesus was part of it, but more like the, uh, the parental end of it, of the family. And really what the church says is just like, think about it. Think about the role of parents, like who parents should be, what their jobs should be, what their priorities should be. And then to look at you know, Mary and Joseph as, as models. I mean, and one of, one of, you know, think of Joseph, man, one of the, the sort of protector thing, that would totally be him. You know, we don't know much about him. You know, he doesn't appear often in the Gospels. And then he, and then he disappears. You know, the story when Jesus gets, uh, he's lost, and they find him in the, in, the, in the temple. He was 12 years old. That's it. That's the last time we hear from Joseph. So we always presume at a certain point he must have died. I mean, he wasn't at the, he wasn't at the crucifixion, and you know he would have been. Um, so he must have died somewhere between Jesus being 12 and 33. Um, so there's not a lot. In fact, he, I'm sure you've heard this. He never speaks in the Gospels. You literally never hear his, there's no dialogue. Joseph doesn't actually say anything. You know, we hear from Mary, not a lot, but we, we do hear Mary speak. Joseph is never quoted. Um, but he's this enormous presence. And I would just say, you know, one of, the, one of these pieces should be, one of these images should be protector. Like in the, in the little bit that we do know, that's what he was doing. He was just protecting his, his family, picking them up and moving them and getting them away from danger, getting them to safer places. And, they're supposed, and that's supposed to be an example for us. I was talking the other day to a guy from, uh, lives down here on the island. Very, he's always at mass, great guy. He's got a couple of kids, a couple of teenagers, and he was just telling me how it's been tough trying to get them, motivate them in terms of faith, you know, trying to get them to, uh, to go to church and, you know, they go, but they go with an attitude. They don't really want to be there. They're physically present, but that's it, you know. They're just sort of like watching the clock tick until, until Mass is done. And, but he keeps kind of pushing it, and he keeps talking to them. I know he does uh, about the importance of here and the importance of, of a relationship with Christ. I mean, this is, it's not only about being here, but this is a big part of it, but certainly prayer and Jesus just being, being a, 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 a significant part of each of our lives. And anyway, this conversation the other day was a really positive one because he just said, he said to me, I think they, they, it's starting to click. Like they do seem to be kind of getting it. The resistance seems to be kind of going away. You know, they're not jumping for joy at going to mass, but, but they're not fighting it. And he says he's kind of looking at them, at, you know, and during mass and he, can, he sees them. They're kind of they're there. They're not... Well, he won't let them be on their phone, but he's like, they're not somewhere else. They're kind of, they can tell that they're listening to what's being said. And, and he's just so grateful for that. And he said to me, this is what just hit me. He said, he said, I don't want anything for Christmas from them. Like, I don't, I don't need anything from them. But that would be it. Like he said, that would be the, the best gift that they could give me. Be that, that they become close to God. And that, you know, again, practically plays out with being at church. And I know why he's saying it. 
because he knows he can't always come in and rescue. He won't always be able to rescue his kids. Maybe now, because they're still kids, most of the time he can. But, you know, like the older they get, the more independent they become. Like, you can't, you can't bust into the haunted house and rescue your kid when your kid is scared all the time. You know, your, your 16-year-old gets on a bus and goes to school. Or is that his or her locker in school, at school? And they're on their own. And they've got to make decisions. They've got to, they're going to be challenged to make right decisions and, 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 and gravitate toward good people and distance themselves from, you know, troubled kids. And will they do that? And I got, you, you just, you can't, they're not chess pieces. In a, they're not pieces in a game. You can't move them around. Yeah, when they're little, you can. And I know this father's just thinking, like, the clock is ticking. Like, I just want them to, to be so important to them. And I don't think he's overbearing with it. I mean, you can, you can go too much, I think. You can almost drive them away. I think he's striking the right balance, but he's talking to them. He's talking to his kids about God. And part of it is he's making them do certain things, which I think we need to do. I, too often, I... I too often, I think we've got parents that are just, hey, at a certain point, all right, are you going to make your 20-year-old go to church? Hey, I mean, I, what are you going to do? Throw him in the backseat of the car? No. But your 12-year-old? Your 15-year-old? Like, too many are just sort of surrendering that. Like, if your 15-year-old said, I'm just not going to go to school anymore, would you, would you, oh, would you sign off on that? I mean, of course not. Be like, yes, you are going to school. Would you say it's just not worth the fight? He'll get his GED down the line. You'd be like, no, he's no. This is a fight we're going to have because this is just too important. I mean, shouldn't faith be in that category? And even when it is, even when, I mean, hey, I talk to people all the time. They're like, yeah, I did all of that, and they still don't go. I know. I mean, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. There's no guarantee of anything. But at least to say, like, this is, we have to, we need to make this a priority. That's what this dad was saying. And in a, gratefully, he was kind of just, he was getting a, a good return on an investment. At least last week he was, in the last couple of weeks. I was re looking at this, uh, reading this little kind of spiritual um, reflection written by this priest who was talking about his parents and they're both just dead now, but I, I think he wrote this right after his mother had died. His dad had been dead a number of years before. So he was just very reflective about his parents and their influence on him. The name of the article was, How My Parents Shaped My Soul. And he just says this. He says, introspection isn't always a bad thing. On occasion, I think it's good to reflect on the people and the events that helped shape your soul. I think this is a form of prayer which we should all do more often. I sometimes do this sitting at my parents' grave. They're buried together in a small rural cemetery. And when there's, when there's an occasion and the mood is right, 
I'll sit at their graves and I try to figure out who gave what to me. And he goes on to just talk about half the article is about his mother, pretty much the other half is about his father and the ways in which they were similar and then very much the ways in which they weren't. Personality differences, the way they played out their faith wasn't exactly the same. But he said they kind of complemented each other with faith. At the end of the day, they were both faithful people. And he said they shaped his soul. You know, that haunted house uh, story, um, that was a long time ago. I mean, it was uh, 45 years ago, maybe. So, like, you know, I remember the, what I described to you, kind of some things you don't forget when you're scared to death. I remember that. But, I mean, it's so long ago. How much can you really remember, you know, the peripheral details? But this I do know. I know it was a Saturday night. Because what we used to do on Saturday night is we'd drive down from that little lake house, which wasn't near church, and we'd go to the Saturday evening Mass. So we had been at Mass, and then we were on our way back, and when we saw this little fair thing. And what I, what I also remember is how annoying it was having to go to Mass during those summer days. It was just, none of us wanted to go. Like, we wanted to be at the lake. We wanted to be on vacation. And I'm sh- so did my parents. I am sure they wanted just as much to be on vacation. And probably just didn't want to go those nights, but they did. And it just communicated to us I'm really more by action than word, like, this matters. This has got to be number one. That's what that dad was trying to, is trying to say to his kids. So who are the people that shaped your soul? It's got to be somebody. You're sitting here this morning. Who are the people that shaped your soul? That's an important question. And here's another one. To whom do you need to return that favor?